Welcome to the Indie Comics section. Join us as we take you through the pages of some of the best stories and art available in comics. We'll talk to creators, hear about their inspiration and creative process, and then we'll read their comic and discuss it together. We hope you'll join us on this journey into some incredible Hello, comics and, welcome and to find Indie some comics. new favorites we along the way. We have a very special guest today joining us for the second time. Very exciting. Um, I am your host, Maddie. I'm Sylvia. And I am Brandon. And Madeline, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, sure. I'm Madeline Holly Rosing, the writer-creator of the steampunk supernatural comic, Boston Metaphysical Society. Yeah, and we had you on the show. Gosh, has it been a year yet? Yeah, I think probably about a year because we ran our last Kickstarter almost almost exactly a year ago. Time flies. How have you been in the past year? Uh, extremely busy, um, <laughs> as most of us are. Yes. And uh, just trying to get work done <laughs> we feel that and you just had a new kickstarter go live and and you said uh make the numbers too right yes we launched this past wednesday the 22nd and we made our goal i guess uh uh yesterday morning i think it was congratulations yeah. Holy cow. what has that experience been like for you obviously uh, this time really good but i mean you've been doing kickstarters for a while now right Yes, this is actually number eight for me. Um, Wow. Yeah, you probably don't remember uh, last time we talked that the first one I ran failed uh, Mm -hmm. rather spectacularly, um, as they're wont to do when you're, you know, the first time. Yeah. And uh, we regrouped and re-strategized, launched a couple months later, and that one was fully funded in basically under 48 hours. Wow. We've You've been clearly do- learned what you needed say, to do. That, learning, awesome. that learning experience came real quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was a steep learning curve, but it's like, yeah, I I, I learned rather quickly. So, um, but also Kickstarter, you know, the the comics uh, have gotten better and better every year. I think uh, the bar has raised. Mm-hmm. It's gotten more professional. Um, you can't just throw things up and hope it sticks and people will come. Um, as uh, I know you, you guys probably know uh, I wrote Kickstarter for the independent creator, which was uh, designed for, for comic creators, but the strategies are applicable for, for anybody. Yeah. And that's something uh, that we actually really want to talk about with you today, because we have a lot of um, listeners and, and people that are interested in creating comics. And obviously, they should go check out your book. Um, but what are some kind of tips and tricks and things that you learned um, in kind of that first to second Kickstarter and just in general? Well, one of the first things I learned is when we first launched, we had gotten three of the uh, six issues done of the original six issue miniseries. And I guess I should say for, for those of your listeners who don't know anything about the series, it's about an ex Pinkerton detective, a spirit photographer and a genius scientist who battles supernatural forces in late 1800s Boston. So we had self funded the first three issues before we went to Kickstarter. And our, our original thinking was, okay, let's try to get the money to produce the last three so we can put together the whole trade. Yeah. Sounds re- sounds reasonable, right? Yeah. <laughs> it on the face of it it sounds extremely reasonable. Uh unfortunately no one knew me from Adam 
on Kickstarter. I had just, you know, only done cons for a few years, you know, didn't have a huge mailing list yet. And so we actually did pretty well for, uh, you know, for a comic that, you know, no one had heard anything about. I, I think if I remember, I think we, even though we didn't make our goal because we were looking for 25 grand, because once again, that's a reasonable amount for what we were trying to do. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we had over 200 backers and, and, and brought in over $7,000. And so we said, you know, that's actually not too shabby. That's amazing. Yeah. For, for that, but we just approached it incorrectly. So what we did the next time was break it down into smaller pieces mm. uh, that people could wrap their head around. Okay, if she gets, you know, this done and then this done and then this done, um, you know, it. If people clearly felt more comfortable doing that way. So mm-hmm. we broke it down into the individual chapters, uh, finished up, then kickstarted the trade with new material and then the last three Kickstarters have been for standalone sequels to the original six issue miniseries. Yeah, and the and, most if you want to talk a little bit about the most recent one, it's very exciting. Um yeah, this this one um also includes our first ever coloring book. Woohoo. Oh, awesome. Which was a lot of fun. Um I had been wanting to I work with Alejandro Lee for quite a while. He does a, a, a cute all ages series called Sally Sprocket and Piston Pete yeah. amongst other things. And I, I knew Alejandro, we, we met on the con circuit. I loved his work and I was just thinking, you know, he would be perfect for this project. And he had, he hasn't been back. He was gone. He was at, at in Taiwan with family, I guess for about a year and was just, you know, coming back into the con season and I approached him, I said, Hey, I'd really like to do this. You know, we worked out a budget and so here we are. Um, the standalone sequel ghosts and demons, uh, I mean, it sort of features Caitlin, but she's more of a, a catalyst in all of this. And what I did was, reach back into one of the short stories I had written and was published by Thinking Inc. Press uh, in an anthology called Sometime Later. The The short story itself was called Here by Monsters, and it tells the origin story of Duncan the Ghost, who you meet in the first issue of the original six-issue miniseries. That's awesome. That is awesome. So with the coloring book, why did you guys decide to include that since your comics are starting to take off so much? Um, it seemed like a fun thing to do (laughs) and yeah, I know a lot of people are doing it, but there hasn't been a Boston metaphysical coloring book yet. Yeah. And, um, I also knew (laughs) I probably wouldn't get my next novel out this year. Um, so I wanted to have, you know, something else other than the graphic novel. That's, that's fair. Keep some, keep them interested, keep them engaged that way when that your the rest of your uh, content does come out they have something to look forward to and something to kind of bridge that gap in between yes yeah yes. Com- uh, coloring books have become more and more popular we're seeing a lot of them which is cool both I don't know about for... you guys but i love to color oh me too it's, so relaxing. it's therapeutic and, and it, it's a great way to support an uh you know an indie artist completely rather than 
you know, generic coloring books from the kids section. Right, or they have all those with like the designs, and they're just designs. I don't care. I'd much rather color. Oh awesome yeah, the characters. adult coloring books. That yeah, are, like, they're all boring mandalas. as heck. Yeah, <laughs> I love coloring yeah. books like this where there are cool characters. You can, um, you really get into the content in a different way. And so, I mean, obviously, great for kids, but also have a beer, get out your crayons, yeah. <laughs> have a nice evening. <laughs> yeah, that's what's nice about it because. Yeah. Um, of course, we include the main characters as Samuel, Caitlin, and Granville. But, you know, there's Tesla and Edison and Houdini and Belle. That's awesome. And some of the newer characters, Alma and um, uh, the Demon, which is part of, of this current book. And uh, I know he's also going to do some cityscapes and, and some combo things as well. So um, it should it should be fun. That's you know? awesome. Well, and you have such cool characters to get to play with, too. So it's it's exciting. And that sounds like a nice Friday night to me. Yeah. Stay home in color. <laughs> That's wonderful. What um, Do you have more stories that you want to tell with Boston Metaphysical Society? I mean, I know that you have kind of a longer plan for everything. What's kind of next around the corner? Well, I did uh, finish a draft of the next novel, uh, which I probably talked about this before. Um it's the first, and it, it's set in the same universe, but it's about 35 years before, uh, you know, Samuel and Caitlin and Granville, mm -hmm. uh, in what I call the House Wars, which is the equivalent of the American Civil War. Okay. And you get to meet some of the characters that are mentioned in uh, the current novel, Storm of Secrets, when they were younger, um, or kids. Um like uh, Beatrice Wellsmore, who is definitely, you know, a major uh, part of um, uh, one of the novellas I wrote uh, called Steampunk Rat, which is uh, which is a fan favorite. <laughs> I really like Beatrice. And I also wanted to have a main character who was a middle aged woman. Yeah. You know, you, you don't you don't mm -hmm. see that a lot. And her counterpoint is uh, an airship designer and pilot by the name of uh, Gwen Warwick. Mm -hmm. And you actually meet her and her crew briefly in the uh, short uh, comic sequential art story that's part of the trade called Hunter Killer. So everything I do is linked to everything else. Um, it's they're standalone, but if you read every everything it it just enriches the entire world which which is my intent yeah absolutely when i love that you have a middle-aged female character because that is such a good point when honestly, you look at comics especially honestly like, and and i think just like f from a female perspective it's like we disappear after 30 well you're, 30 start yeah, you know? you're starting to get a lot more younger female leads which mm -hmm. is great yeah. you're getting that representation but totally. the older generation doesn't have that in there yeah and it's good they have something like or someone now to connect with and represent them and really make them feel included in this community you're either zendaya or helen mirren <laughs> <laughs> there's no in between like we just go from 30 to like 60s well to be to be honest i i have seen a couple of middle-aged leads lately that I have absolutely loved. Um, one being uh, the show Sex Education on Netflix. If you yes. haven't watched it, you need to. Amazing. Uh, Jean, the 
sex therapist in that show. <laughs> is, Although she's a little older too. Well, she she is a div- like divorcee chic yeah. at, in like the best way possible, and just such a such a great representation that like your life doesn't end when you're a certain age. Your life doesn't end after you know a relationship dies, any of that stuff. So like having characters like that has encouraged me as a younger divorcee, as a younger person who has gone through a lot of these life changes. Um, that you know it gets better it's gonna be okay life <laughs> we don't goes actually on. die at 30 well and yeah. that's gillian anderson who is the all-star of all She's, female actresses yes i'm obsessed with so, her. Gorgeous. Um, so gorgeous oh yeah and she yeah she's like it, if there is a character that's middle-aged it's her <laughs> I think right now if you think about it she's in everything um but yeah she's fabulous and i think it is especially in comics too we see a lot of like you know late teens early 20s female characters and then men that's the can age be... where you get stuff mm-hmm. done that's the age and where you accomplish things but and... even then with the men they when they get older they just get more refined and more yeah. like you still get men of all ages yeah. but you don't get that especially in comics so and in and, and stories to that point because i know this is um a novel um but i mean that's awesome do you see her in comics as well is is she going to be in different formats uh, Beat- beatrice uh no um <laughs> shut me down <laughs> No, uh, but Alma, one of the new supporting characters, uh, she's an African-American woman. She is older than Caitlin. Yeah, because how, how old is Caitlin again? Caitlin is in her early 20s. Yeah, mm-hmm. but she's gorgeous and wonderful, and we love her. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is great that you're adding a little diversity and a little different um, to people of all ages. It's exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, the diversity has been there. I'm, I'm, I mean, unfortunately, due to uh, page count and budget, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, sometimes it, you know, ends up more in the background than the foreground. Uh, except for the Scourge, the Mechanical Men, which is our our first standalone sequel, mm-hmm. and that featured Granville and Tesla, and you spent a, a good half of the comic in what I. Uh, in the African American neighborhood, which I called Liberty Row within Boston. And, mm. and that was based on, um, the African American middle class neighborhoods that used to exist in New York prior to the civil war. Mm. So I just essentially moved that to Boston and that's awesome. That and that's where Granville and and his family, his sister and his niece are living, and his his brother-in-law, and so you get to see uh, some of that world, and which I really wanted to do. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Granville's like, my personal favorite character, so that's exciting. <laughs> um, so, but you know, unfortunately, with the with the graphic novels and with the with budget and time, often there's not enough time to get all the places I'd like to go to. So, yeah. you know, you ha- you have to think of the the standalone sequels as as more of like short stories where I'm yeah. focusing on a, a particular incident and characters and and that's where we go for that story. Is um, the, is that a challenge particularly as you're funding all of these through Kickstarter and kind of going through this process every time is really you have to be very selective in which content you choose and what you're yes. able to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really have to sit down and think like, okay, what is the story that I want to write? And I do listen to input from fans, you know, what, what's the story that, that the fans want to hear? And, 
I remember I, you know, had done um, Scourge and then The Spirit of Rebellion, and there was a guy who came to my table at, at San Diego Comic-Con. He says, well, when are you going to, I want them all back together again. No. You know, so like, you know, I want to see the band back together again. Like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's get to him in the last let's, page. Let's get the band back together again. That's awesome. And so I just had an idea of, of kind of circling back to the, the short story of, of Duncan and how he became a ghost and mm. what, Nothing is is what you think it's going to be. Well, and how important is it to you that you're at Comic-Con, that you're at conventions talking to fans and kind of creating that that really strong fan base? I think it's very important. Um, I learn a lot from them Hmm. and uh, who they connect to and how they connect to them. And uh, nothing really beats you know, one-on-one with fans and potential fans. Yeah. And with that and hearing who they like and what they enjoy and what they're getting out of it, was there anything specific like in the stories that you wanted them to get out of it? Or do you just like seeing what they kind of get out of it and come up with on their own? Well, sometimes uh, I could say they inspire me to, to think hmm. about the characters in a different way. And uh, a number of years ago, before, I, I think I, I already knew I was going to do a Granville. The first standalone was going to be a Granville Tesla story. I, I yeah. knew that because that kind of that uh, finishes the Tesla story. And so I already knew that. But um, the next story I had I was at Gaslight Expo down in San Diego and uh, uh a fan and a friend, um, she stood next to me, she was helping me out at the table, and she was talking about how, I guess, uh, another friend had read another author who, you know, was just convinced that, you know, women in steampunk should, I mean, all the stories in steampunk that the women should always be at the forefront, they should always be strong, they should always be winning, Blah 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 Which, blah blah, and no, I, no one and can argue. Is, and I'm going like, uh, but no one can win all the time. <laughs> correct, <laughs> and and there and there are repercussions hmm. for the decisions that you make, and even as a character. And Caitlin had made very hard choices, and in the original miniseries, she made a choice to go back to Samuel and Granville and basically help save the world. (laughs) Um, And she didn't care what her mother said. She didn't care what the church said. Mm. She essentially broke off from them and she ultimately paid the price for that. Yeah. And which you see in the second standalone, which is spirit of rebellion. And that's when her mother throws her out of the house. Well, and I think um, that's a story that people can connect with, right? Because yeah. it's a human story. It's yeah. not just, oh, I'm going to go fight these ghosts and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be amazing all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, no one can connect with a character like that because it's not real. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, I mean, she made these choices and there's always going to be repercussions for the choices you make. Some of her are good mm-hmm. and some are going to be bad. And all of a sudden, she's homeless. Yeah. She's got nothing. So the only person she can go to is Samuel, 
And of course, during that time period, it's not like she can move in with him because that's not yeah. going to work. Yeah. Um, so he takes her to to Philadelphia. And I don't want to if anyone <laughs> hasn't read Spirit of Rebellion, I don't want to ruin that. But that once again puts her in a situation where she has to make some very hard decisions. And there are repercussions for that as well. Um, and, and we'll see more and more of that later on. Mm. But, um, uh, yeah, as I develop the relationship between Caitlin and Samuel and, you know, bring Alma more into the mix. Um, so it, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, I do, I do listen to what, to what people say. And it's always interesting to, to see what people get out of the stories. Was there anything that's been like super surprising that someone shared with you? Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> uh, I guess in one review, one gentleman was talking about uh, the, the demons that I had created and that I had put together a rather different, you know, world building canon for my demons as opposed to what you see out there. And mm. I kind of went like, I did. <laughs> and I went like, oh, yeah, I guess I did. And so that caused me to step back a little bit and say, like, okay, if I really did that, then let's really develop that world and that the canon of that world. And you're going to see there's actually hints of that in the new book, Ghosts and, De Ghosts and Demons. Yeah. And you'll see much more of that in the new series of novels. That's awesome. Like I said, every everything is linked in yeah. some fashion. Yeah, and it's it honestly it's really um the mark of of somebody that can write a story that they can take those threads that people give them and notice about their work that maybe they didn't even notice themselves and develop that and say, "Oh, that's an interesting thread. Let's actually go down that road." Um and use that to inspire them. Um so oh, Absolutely. Yeah. You you have had such success over so much practice getting fundraising and, and uh, being in the indie comic scene. Do you have any advice for people who are starting out making comics or going on Kickstarter trying to self-fund a project, that kind of thing? Um, I would strongly suggest that they hit the con circuit first and start building a fan base and an email list. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that they have to get a whole table to themselves. I started out, I mean, I think the first year and a half, a good friend of mine and I, uh, we split a table. Yeah. And we, we traveled together mm. um, and split as many costs as, as we could because we didn't have much product then. And we were on a you know, real shoestring budget. Both of us were. And you know, get that little piece of paper. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it just says, you know, name, email address. Yeah. And, and then you follow up with them and you, you start a newsletter and, um, you know, you send it out regularly, you know, not enough. I do my newsletter once a month, uh, cause most people can handle that. Yeah. Cause we have so, we get hit, we get distracted with so much stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. Coming in with email, it's like, Oh, I just got my Boston Metaphysical newsletter. It's once a month. You know, the, oh, yeah, they, she does reviews. You know, I'll get, you know, update. It's real quick. 
And if there's something, you know, later on I want to go read, I'll, you know, I'll just go save it. And then, you know, for that Friday afternoon when you're at the office and you just want to chill for 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, you know, move on with your life. Yeah, absolutely. So this, these are great tips for marketing specifically. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people go into stuff like this and they have the idea, they have the story, they have the art, but they don't have the promotional side of it. And, and I love that you're reminding people to just occasionally give them an opportunity to engage with your stuff um, on a regular basis and give them a reason to keep coming back because that's how you're going to build the fan base. So great, great advice. Yeah, I mean, the first, I think, three or four years, I was doing probably maybe 20 cons a year. Wow. Wow. And, and I did all the little ones as well. Um, I don't do that anymore. I just, <laughs> yeah, that's I, a lot of cons. Um, it's a lot, but that's how you start building. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, you just do that and you build and build and build and build a little bit at a time. And you also don't try to over merchandise yourself. I, I, I see a lot of creators that often get really excited, like, oh, I got this. Let's do T-shirts. Let's do mugs. Let's do da, 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 da. And I'm going like, Stop. <laughs> That first, it's the money outlay, mm-hmm. and then you have, do you have room to store these things? Um, so my, uh, part of my plan was just to grow things slowly. Like we have a mm-hmm. new pin every year. We have a new book every year. Um, this year we'll have uh, the short graphic novel and the coloring book. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, either by the end of this year or next year, we'll have the new novel. There's, uh, I know a short story. I think the anthology is almost done. <laughs> um, I'm not sure when that's going to be published, but hopefully, you know, in the fall, uh, from another publisher, uh, which I can't name right now. So <laughs> <laughs> more to come. Uh, once, once it's all done and contractor signed, yes, I will do That's that. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, build slowly. So you one, you're not breaking the bank, mm-hmm. and you know, two, you're not, you're just not overextending yourself. Yes. Do you think at that first phase, the little cons are almost more important than the big cons? Yeah, yeah, because it's easier to get noticed. Hmm. Mm. That's a good that yeah. There's such a big artist alley and small press mm-hmm. that say WonderCon and certainly a Comic-Con, it's, which is very expensive to get in now, too. Well, and the smaller ones are a lot more intimate. You could actually have full conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Like, would you like in that? Would you say like that like, getting to know your audience and getting to actually interact and them then telling their friends and all that was a big push for you guys? Yes, absolutely. And also getting to know my fellow creators. Yeah. Mm. Yes, that's a good point. That was huge. I mean, I've built relationships now over the past six, seven years, I think, um, that are invaluable. And so I can reach out to people and say like, hey, you know, you're doing this, you know, let's cross promote. And they're going like, oh, yeah. And they they know they can reach out to me, too. Yeah. Um, which I couldn't have done five years ago. That's awesome. And, and, and so, you know, you develop working relationships with people that benefit everyone. Yeah. Um, I'm very much in favor of the win-win scenario for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
No Kobayashi Maru for you. That was a Star Trek uh. reference. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it. I'm sorry. Uh, how much would you say social media plays a part? Uh, it it pays a large part. Um, but I probably use it more strategically now mm. than other people do. Mm. I do pay attention. I'm a part of so many groups I can't even possibly remember how many and what they are. But I do notice if people are liking the posts within the group or not, you know, if there's any engagement at all. Mm. And so I don't end up in Facebook jail. <laughs> I, I don't do when I launch a Kickstarter campaign. Um, my bread and butter is my email list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and my previous Kickstarters to notify people that, you know, we're launching and I build up to that, too, um, so it doesn't come out of the blue. And, um, oh, now I just lost my thread there. Uh, <laughs> no, that's good. Just that you're kind of, you know, taking it slow, not overwhelming people, but doing quality over necessarily quantity. Where can we follow you? Uh, uh, on Facebook, it's like 3,400, 36. I don't remember. Something like that. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, what's your uh, tag so people can look you up and follow you on? Oh, it's on Facebook. It's um, Boston Metaphysical Comic, Boston Metaphysical Society Comic. Um, on Twitter, it's M. Holly Rosing, or just type in Boston Metaphysical, it'll pop up. Uh, and Instagram, it's MC Holly and the numeral one. Awesome. Well, thank- and of course, and of course, the website is bostonmetaphysicalsociety.com. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you gave us some invaluable advice. Um, you are an awesome creator. Obviously, have had a lot of success, and we look forward to everything that's to come. Can't wait for this new comic that just got backed, uh, and for your book next year as well. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, we always appreciate you. You can check out our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all podcast apps. You can also check out our website, thegrandgeekgathering.com, for our articles, videos, and more. Please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know if you're creating your own comic, if you uh, thought these Kickstarter uh, pieces of advice and just general comic creating advice were helpful. Um, If you love Boston Metaphysical Society, let us know. You can also stay updated on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we stream on Twitch. Intro is provided by Cranston, and you can buy the Boston Metaphysical Society at bostonmetaphysicalsociety.com and from all the amazing social medias uh, that Madeline just shared with us. Uh, So come and join the gathering. Have a great week and GGG. Thank you so much. Thank you.